0: to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, occasionally, I like to uh, bring back a guest that's been on the show before, just because I'm really, really curious about what they're up to these days. And uh, today's guest is one such. Dan. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello again. Thank you for having me back. I can't believe you're having me back after a of time. Uh, I'm Daniel, and I run the London Cloth Company.
0: Now, what is the London Cloth Company?
1: Okay, so uh, about 11 years ago, I thought it might be a fun idea to get a loom and do some weaving and accidentally, without realising it, started building a cloth mill, which today I think weighs in at about 150, 200 tonnes of machinery, dating from about 1870 to nearly present, that's all completely restored and functioning and how
0: many looms do you have at this point?
1: Okay, I counted the other day. I think it's 21.
0: <laughs> 21. <looms>. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, <laughs> in other words, you did get started doing a little weaving. Yeah,
1: it got a bit out of hand. I I think we've now we were talking about this the other day. I think we've got the largest collection of new curated restored machinery in Europe that's running commercially. I I I think. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, <laughs> the thing is as well, it's not just looms. On top of all that, you've also got all the other preparatory machinery that sets up the looms, and then you've got all the winders for making all the weft, and then you've got all the, you know, we, you, know you need a machine just to roll the fabric at the end, you know, you know? So there's all these different things that you need. You can't just have a loom, that's the thing. That's where I went wrong. I thought, oh, I'll just go and get myself a loom, it'll be fine. And then the next thing you know, oh, you're like, oh, I've, I've got a loom. I also need a yarn winder, I need a warping mill, I need a cloth rolling machine, I need all these other things. And then every time you get a different loom, you probably need another different winder or another whatever just to go with it. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> and you're also something of a traveling loom mechanic, I think, yeah. because whenever I talk to someone who's in weaving, they'll suddenly slip in, oh, yeah, and Dan was here and set it up.
1: Yeah. So, uh, who knew that this was a job? Um, so, the, the textile industry, sort of weave this this band of textile industry. You know, the 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 youngest other technicians I know who fix looms like this are probably in their very late 60s. You know, I know weavers running shuttle looms well into their 80s. Um, there's a guy called Ken at uh, uh, Melintyfi in Wales. He's 83 and he's still Going in and, and, and weaving, not not, not every day. Uh, so, you know, these, so I go all over the country and now Europe and probably next year America doing looms. Uh, when I say doing looms, this will either be, you know, a museum that's got some that don't work and they want them to work or doing training or a mill that's got the looms and the tuna has retired and now they need someone to come in, maybe twice a year, three times a year, or if there's a problem, just to look at them and fix them.
0: It sounds like you should either clone yourself or take on apprentices.
1: Well, yeah, so I've just been training three guys to run looms in Wales. Um, That's been going on for about two or three years now, and that's all at the Welsh National Woolen Museum. Um, And they've got, you know, the thing is, you can run a loom, that's easy. You can learn to do that in seven weeks i see you know running a loom is easy but n- understanding actually what's going on and then th- then you think you understand what you're going on and then you realize actually no i didn't and there's so much many layers to it um it's uh, what's called the circle of timing and the more into it you get the more you realize that actually you never knew anything at the beginning of whatsoever or even six months ago and you yeah it's it's, it's bonkers Mm, but they all run on the same principles so even ones that are sort of from the late 1870s to the ones that are brand new now they still work on this this principle so as long as you sort of can get your head around that then yeah (laughs) just it's just taken a very long time in fact it might not be i don't know it might not be that difficult i might just be shit at it and i just make it look really difficult (laughs) i've often thought this like maybe this is a lot easier than i think and if someone else had a crack at it, they'd be like, oh yeah, this is easy, why are you making such a big deal <laughs> of so, it? I have no idea.
0: Well, a lot of these old machines are incredibly complicated, and you sort of think, looking at them, that the person who came up with that must have been so smart in an utterly practical way. Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the other thing is as well, is we're seeing, so so the, the loon that I'm most familiar with originally came out in 1879, and now we're looking at it, and you're seeing something that came out in 1879. But you're not. What you're not seeing is the preceding 50 years of development, built on development, built on development, and, and a lot of um, intellectual property theft from different companies. They're all stealing each other's ideas because, you know, intellectual property back then was like unheard of. You could patent something, but eh, whatever. Especially in the really early days. If you look at some of the um, the, the the true pioneers of textiles, they all died in poverty. Like um, uh, Kay, who invented the the first flying shuttle, died in poverty because he couldn't he couldn't protect an idea because basically all it was was a bit of wood with a hole in and some sticks. I mean anyone could, anyone with a wood workshop could recreate that. Um, and sp- People following on from that, the only one that really made any money was Arkwright, and even then, there's like a lot of speculation. Did he just steal his ideas from other people? So yeah, it's it's quite an interesting one. Um, And then the thing is, we're running these machines now, and yeah, when they were brand new, they were incredible, like absolutely out of this world. But you know, we're building them now, and you know, we're we're making one from two, and we're probably still missing a few of the bits or whatever, and this bit's worn out, but that bit's fine, and. So, yeah, you never... I'd, yeah, it'd be amazing to run a brand new one, but that's that's not going to happen now. So.
0: Yeah. Regarding the patents and stealing each other's ideas, we got into that same topic on my conversation with Sophie Tannhauser when we were talking about sewing machines right. and how they evolved, where everyone was patenting all their good ideas, but it wasn't until they all put all their good ideas together yep. that they actually had a, a good result.
1: So jacquard weaving um is a really good example of this loads of people were working because jacquard weaving came before the rest of powered weaving and the, the guy that got it all together i've forgotten his first name but his surname was jacquard um he was just the one who managed to fit together everybody else's ideas and kind of be like oh here we go that's it so yeah i think that there's a lot you know this is what's so amazing is because I get to go to all these different places and mills all work on the same basis like all the looms are pretty much like in, in in modern weaving a lot of the looms are all more or less the same they all date from like the late 80s onwards to present and they're all doing the same process but everywhere you go you'll see little things that people have done to be like make life easier like this this specially welded up lever that just lifts this thing so you don't have to lift it or this trolley that they've fabricated in a shed somewhere that you know you fit all these bits into and then you can wheel all your stuff around like it's really interesting so without doing that um i mean it's it's a lot more interesting getting to see what everyone else does Mm.
0: i like the idea of that Mm. um if nothing though you're not uh, i mean you are tenacious you are you keep finding an orphan loom you'll drag it home
1: <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Painting, <laughs> shot blasting.
1: So the thing is, I've got, you know, yeah, it is bad. Um, there was a, especially at the beginning, there was a time where I was, I think I worked out in the first five years, I was averaging like a ton of machinery a month if you spread it out throughout the year or something. Now, then it, I went into a sort of quite quiet patch. I'm back on it now. It's got even worse. So, yeah. Um, yeah I mean that just just this this year um so and then the other thing is I don't always keep them now so I bought three looms in the summer restored one beautifully and put it in a museum so it's now running in a museum that's really nice that's actually you know it's good because you know I can't keep them all because I haven't got enough space and some of them you know this one this particular one it was very early it hadn't run since the 80s um, it, it probably not run since a long time before that. It was in not it was in a terrible state. But does it do anything? This is the other thing. A lot of the early looms are incredibly basic. You know, they're just going to weave plain weave, uh, say uh, eighty centimeters wide. That is great, but I've already got four that do that. So then you're like, okay, well. It's got to bring something to the London Cloth Company party for it to warrant being here because space is of such a premium. So let's put it in a museum instead. And then, you know, they're Yeah, so that's down in the, the Welsh National Water Museum now. So it's really nice.
0: So it's running there weaving cloth.
1: So this is amazing. Um, so, you know, we talk about workwear and stuff. Um, what we've done there is the first thought that we put on. It's going to be sort of a heavy traditional Welsh flannel. That's getting, it's it's back from the finishers at the moment. The fi- finishers is where they wash it at the end. And now that fabric is going to be used to make little work uniforms for the people that work in the museum. How cool is that? So, you know, it's really basic, but what a great use of it because, you know, a lot of the... This is one of the big arguments I've had since the beginning of London Cloth Company. Is, you know, you've got museums. They're absolutely crying out for money and funding. But then, you know, they've got all these looms. Why can't you put these looms to a certain level of work? Nothing crazy. And actually makes some, some revenue off them that then goes back into the museum to make more looms work or improve visitor experience or whatever. Because why not? Yeah.
0: That is actually... I mean, you're, they're proving that it's making something that is usable yeah. for something even today, exactly. yeah. which is great. That's yeah, really good. So that's the National Wool Museum in Wales. You've been in Europe,
1: so, yeah. Um, so this—I'd never been to Spain until this summer, and I went to a. Okay, this is. Occasionally, I get these really crazy phone calls. Um. My favorite one was, this is all, this sounds like, I mean, sounds like I'm making it up. My favorite one was, hi, yeah, South Korean Air Force here. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we found you online. Could you weave straps to stop our airplanes falling off the aircraft carriers? I was like, no, <laughs> no, please, no, no, I can't do that. Um, and then I had one time, hey, it's Airbnb here. Could you come to Guatemala? I was like yeah okay yeah is this real I honestly thought it was a scam and then I had one this summer this lady finds me up who I sold fabric to many years ago in sort of 2014 her name's Kavita Palmer she goes Daniel I'm, darling could you I really want you to come to Mallorca this summer we're doing this um, this uh, I don't know what you'd call it uh, educational workshop for a week and then we're having a sort of um, ex. Uh, exhibition and market in Palma, Mallorca, please come. And I was like, oh, I'd love to, but I'm, you know, I'm so busy and crazy. And she's like, no, just say yes. And I was like, all right, yes, great, bloody marvellous. So went to Mallorca. And then it turns out that in my, the, the, the extant, which was the, the, the textiles thing, was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I r- cannot recommend going and checking out extant enough. I've never experienced anything like it. It was incredibly emotional. But what we also found in Majorca was that in 1900, there were 12 weaving mills just on the island, which you think for an island that size is a huge number of weaving mills. And they would have been actually producing quite a lot. They did a lot of fabrics for um, militaries throughout the world, a lot of fabric for sort of industry. So things like uniforms and hotels and stuff like that. Anyway, there's only about three of them left on the island. And there's a couple more that are just sort of abandoned. So we sort of set off on this project, um, a group of Spanish uh, are going to try and uh, get all the machinery out of one of them and put it into a new building and set up this uh, cooperative called Trama, which is Spanish for the weft all the story that runs through something basically. And so I'm going to help them restore the looms and get them all going again yeah so that's uh that <laughs> yeah i know um so that's sort of in the process of being set up at the moment um yeah
0: it struck me when you mentioned your odd phone calls that you have had your fair share of kind of unusual
1: jobs yeah. throughout the years yeah the, the, the other work. really good phone calls space yeah work. mit hi could you could you leave something with a space station so yeah, lots of I, I don't know. It's um, can you can you imagine? <laughs> so the thing was that when the Korean um, Air Force, they they knew what they wanted. They even sent me. Oh no no, we know how to make it. We just want you to do it. I mean that's quite a lot of responsibility. I, I'm not sure how much an aeroplane costs, but you know. <laughs> oh yeah, we're just gonna. Sl- <laughs> and I'm not sure, like you know, strapping down an aeroplane. That's that's quite hectic stuff. So yeah. Yeah, how
0: how has the film work been uh, been of oh, late? good.
1: Um, what did we? Oh, yeah. Um, did a. I can't remember when I spoke to you last, but we've just done a Ridley Scott film, and that's coming out soon. And then lots of Disney stuff as usual. So yeah, I'm trying to think now what I what has come out and what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not supposed to talk about. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, no, it's been really good, and I, I think we're just about to start on another one. So yeah, the f- film stuff is is good for us at the moment.
0: Why is it? Do you think people call you up with these odd requests? I mean, I I wouldn't know where to look for space station weaving. Oh, we can but... smell our own.
1: I think. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I don't know. They're, we're we're quite game for stuff, um, and we're very versatile. I think. Like, you know, it's not easy in a big weaving mill to do um, small jobs and sort of, if, say, you're a mill that's set up for weaving apparel fabrics, then that's really what you do. Um, I mean, we're not set up for anything. It's like clown college. So we'll we'll just whatever. We can modify a loom, build a loom just to do one thing. Um, I did a project earlier in the year, I think. Is it, it all blends together now, doesn't it? I think it might have actually been during COVID, where we were looking at how we could build a very small loom to weave uh, regenerated cellulose and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, it's there's, it's a very small industry, it really is. And I'm I'm not talking about just in England. I mean, Europe as a whole. It's um, I think last time I counted, um, because I'm very sad, um, I mean, there's probably less than 100 weaving companies left in the UK, I think. Um, But the ones that aren't there...
0: To most most people, that sounds like quite a large number, but compared to the heydays...
1: Well, this is an interesting question, isn't it? So... The high watermark of the textile industry in the uk was in interwar years probably about 1926 that's when peak mill as i call it kind of happened and then from there it was pretty much a decline the second world war boosted it a little bit um but then after that it just went into decline but there's a sort of argument well if we were to look at the numbers are we weaving the same amount of fabric but with a fraction of the people so The looms from the 50s, for example, they would have been fully automatic or semi-automatic, but the fastest they would have run is maybe 200 picks a minute. So whatever they were weaving was running at 200, say. Now we've got looms running at 300, 600, 700 picks a minute. So you're going to be weaving maybe three times as much with one loom, and one person can run heaps of them so i mean one person could run heaps of the fully automatic ones in the in the early 1900s but then they they reached this point where they couldn't go any faster so it it would it's something i think about all the time Uh, like how it's very difficult to quantify though as a country how much are we weaving (laughs) and also yeah how would you even measure that
0: and also i suppose it's so diverse what Places are we? Mm. I was talking to um, Chris Hewitt of uh, Hewitt Denim. But he's been doing it for years and years and years. You should listen mm. to that episode. He is also one of these guys who just won't give up because he had the idea that he wanted to make a British denim, and he's not giving mm. up. He's a Canadian,
1: right? The the, the issue because we've obviously we've done it. It's that in this country we don't have the finishing. We lost that. um And if you're going to do it proper, I mean, you can get it finished. That's Totally the thing, but really, what you need if you want to get it sanfonized, there isn't a sanfonizer in the UK anymore. And um, there was a company talking about putting one in, but there's just not the demand for it, so it's a bit of a unless they, yeah,
0: that's what he found out as well. Because he used a, a British finisher for the first batch mm. and he did a great job yeah, on it, but then they couldn't remember what they did, mm. so after that, he's had to send it to Italy. Yeah,
1: yeah it's no, yeah, um. The other thing is, I mean, we still weave with indigo. And when we do send it to the finishers, I sp- oh, they hate us so much because so much dye comes out. They, so there's um, a thing called a jig scouring machine that has rollers and they literally have to hand clean it all with bleach after we've been through. So, you know, we have to send just cause I feel guilty. We have to send them an awful lot of fabric to warrant that amount of work. You know, we wouldn't send it up piece by piece. We'd send it all in one go. Yeah. yeah, I know. Mm.
0: So you mentioned you have over twenty yeah, looms now, and, most and you of mentioned them work. that you <laughs> uh, you mentioned that at some point you were getting in a ton or so every month. So that gives an idea of the sort of size and weight of all mm. this. So obviously, you've got this huge space where you keep all There's this.
1: Never enough space. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, um, so the the way is well. It's, you've got to think. So it, a lot of these really early looms, they'll just do this one job, but they'll do it really well. And so you find a product that it will weave. You set it up to do that, and then it could legitimately sit there for a couple of months, not getting used, and then it does that job, and therefore it's paid for itself for the next six months or. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it's warranted it's its, itself being there and also you know we when we buy these things you don't just it's not just the money to buy them it's then the astronomical cost of getting them to a point where they'll run reliably so you'll often have to buy two to make one or um just i'm at a point now where you just make the parts it's actually easier in some cases so we've built up this incredible address book of people who We'll do, you know, lathe work, CNCing, um, laser cutting. Laser cutting is my absolute number one favourite thing now. Um, and we can pretty much manufacture anything. You, you, There's it, it's, it's no one-stop shop for it. You have to have, like, a, a whole series of different people. So these guys will cut this out and do that, and then you take it to this lot, and they do this to it, and, and so on. Um, but, yeah, so I think – so I rent about – three buildings at the moment and I own a shipping a couple of shipping containers but the best thing to have come out of 2022 is that this year we have literally in the last couple of months bought our own building and I, I mean I, I do see the irony of this I think if you call it irony so I've just spent 11 years collecting all the machinery to put into a mill and now I've just bought a mill with machinery in it I never thought this would be an option um (gasps) yeah yeah I know so this sort of thing never happens you know I've spent all this time going to mills completely clearing them out for the owners so that they can then do property developing and stuff uh, because the buildings are worth so much more and they don't want to keep it as a mill or whatever and uh, either I've kept the machinery or I've relocated to, to other places this time, so I've got, this guy's amazing. Um, so his name's Mike Tolpert, and he is now 92 or 93, I think. And decided that it was probably time to retire because he had a pacemaker put in and he had to stop driving, which is crap. I think he would have carried on. He, had, he just, yeah. Driving was a problem, apparently. Not for him, but they said he shouldn't drive. So he says, okay, I'm going to sell, sell the mill. And I think, you know, we sort of knew this was coming and I sort of assumed, okay, all the machinery all we sold, but no, he sold it all as one thing. And the most incredible part is they only advertised it to people who had a connection or connection to the textile industry. So obviously I lost my mind, um, phoned up sort of straight away the day it went online. And I think I was the first person to see it, put it in an offer, sent him a little book <laughs> and, and that was it and so here we are that was i don't know september and we're here two three months later and we own a mill in wales um and it's amazing <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you know each other before no
1: um and the best bit is recently where uh, just before the um the sale went through i was working at the museum in wales and this guy comes down and we're sitting out it's summer and we're sitting outside on a bench and I'm with this photographer who I was down there with. And this guy comes down the hill on a little mobility scooter. I'm like, oh my God, I recognize this guy. And it's Mike. And I go up to him and I'm like, excuse me, you're Mike Tolpin? He goes, yeah, who are you? And I said, I'm the, I'm the guy buying your mill. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and um, yeah, the whole thing's been insanely emotional. Like, just ridiculous. So he's had it since the 80s. The Jones family had it before then, uh, up until the 1870s. And so now we're going to keep it as a mill for the next generation or as long as as long as I last. Um, the only problem is um, it needs, within the next six months, six to 12 months, at least £96,000 spending on it to stop it from falling down. <laughs> and then once we've got past that stage, then there's quite a lot of other things that maybe need addressing. Um, yeah it's like walking into a 1930s time capsule crossed with a sort of horror film dungeon it's absolutely mental in there it is incredible
0: can I just sort of ask briefly apart from the fact that theoretically it was a middle mm. what was the attraction here? it sounds like <sighs> there's a lot to do? Yeah,
1: I mean, I, so just as an example, I mean, I've been trying to, so we were in a position at the moment where people cannot visit the mill, like, uh, we had to move, uh, like in 20, sometime in 2018. And the current site, no one can come and see the mill. Now, what's the point in owning all this stuff, if no one can come and see it, it is so pointless. Um, We've had so much trouble with landlords in the past, just Absolutely out of this world, and so I'd been looking for somewhere for ages. But you know, I was watching industrial units go on the market for eighty-eight thousand in an auction and selling for sort of two hundred and fifty thousand. Like we haven't got it; we hadn't got a chance. So, and that you know, the, the end get goal has always been to have a mill that people can come and see. Really, a, a huge part of our role these days is just when I when I use the word education, I don't mean sort of classroomy workshopy, I mean, just that sort of not even I wouldn't call it surface level, but it doesn't have to be in depth, it's just showing people that there is a new narrative that you can do things another way. Things can I, I, I really don't like banging on about sustainability too much. But that it is a lot easier than you think. And it can be done. And, you know, and encouraging people to go and do other stupid things like this. So, yeah. It's
0: a case of showing people, I think, how things come into existence. Exactly.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is with a lot of this older machinery, you can really get your head around it because it's very understandable. If you show someone a modern loom, it's a little bit hard, you know, with something sort of running at three or 400 picks per minute, the, f- the fabric's just rolling off the front of the loom. You can't really get to grips with what's going on unless it's really slowed down. With a shuttle loom, you can really slow down. You can really, people, I mean, it's weaving. Everybody at some time in their life has probably done a little bit of weaving. And it's just mm. that like next stage of understanding how a mechanized process works.
0: Yeah, which might make people appreciate more. Well, say the the cloths, the clothes they have. Once you realise that a machine or a person has worked exactly. to create that, yeah. So your plan is to create a sort of educational <laughs> loom <Yeah>, centre. Really.
1: <laughs> so I, okay. yeah, I've been going around for years doing talks, and I often <laughs> will talk about Operation Loomland. So imagine with me, if you will. <laughs> A weaving-based theme park. <laughs> um, so yeah, it looks like we're actually going to build Loomland, <laughs> which is amazing. And
0: I was going to suggest that it could be called Weft World. I'm putting my artwork. foot down.
1: This is my foot coming down. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So you know, it's it. We've we've just got this incredible collection of stuff, and I want to create this destination. But it, it's really just for people who are actually really already into their textiles and can come, see the place, maybe do a workshop, do whatever. Um, we're going to have to do some events there. I mean, this is miles away. There is so much work that needs doing to the building. But it's it's actually very feasible now to, to do this. So um, we have got... Uh, Quite a few problems. The uh, uh, All the wiring dates from the 30s. It is the original braided black and red cable, which is, and that oh, all of it, like the whole place is like that. The heating is from 1964. Uh, there's a little bit of asbestos to remove. All the guttering needs replacing. There isn't a single piece of insulation in the whole building um, none at all. The roof needs looking at all the windows need replacing because they're all rotten uh, what else oh the lights all the lights are just single hanging bulbs in little um little enamel shades i mean it's very cute Then they've added at some point in the 70s some fluoro tubes and stuff but yeah so there's a lot to do before we even get on to loomland but at least here we've now got the opportunity to do it so probably by the middle of next year we'll probably the other thing huge thing is safety Oh, God. So uh, anyone who knows about the difference between flat belt and V-belt. So a lot of original loons run on what are called flat belts, the old school kind of big flat belts. I can't think of a better way to describe it. Mm. And then more modern ones, they went over to using V-belts like you'd find in your car or on an industrial sewing machine or whatever. So what they've done is they've, they've got, oh, we'll use V-belts, but they're just running V-belts off motors screwed to the ceiling. <laughs> Coming down, just running on flat belt. So I mean, oh, and there's no guards at all. It's it's amazing. So we've got we've got to do quite a lot with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely out of this world.
0: But it, up until this point, it was actually a working mill yeah. with at least one guy yeah. weaving away, who, against all odds, uh, had survived the hazardous working environment
1: well it does go to show i mean you know we i am i mean honestly i am the most lax when it comes to safety but also quite on it like we've Mm -hmm. never had an accident and it does go to show as long as you're quite aware of of where you are and what you're doing yeah. yeah you you just you just have to be on it and safe but if we were to ever want to train people or employ people you just couldn't get away with it like it's just no absolutely not so that has to change if we and even having people in the building like yeah you could have people coming in and have a look but then you couldn't turn anything on so you've you've really got to and it's not worth the risk i mean these machines really can do you a lot of damage in a very short space of time if you were in the wrong <laughs> wrong place at the wrong time yeah so no there's um you know there's a huge amount of work that to do but the most important thing is that It stayed as a mill. That's it. You know, the I've you know, all this time, all the looms that I've ever picked up, accumulated or whatever, it's always what we call like end of days. You know, that when I get all this stuff out and then the place is clear, then it goes on the market and essentially is either being sold to be knocked down or sold to be turned into houses or a second home or whatever. Like so in Wales at the moment, I think there's when you okay, so I know boring history. So in, in 1900, there were 300 mills in Wales just in the counties of Carmarthenshire, uh, Pembrokeshire, and Ceredigion. And now I think we're about seven, maybe eight left. And just, I mean, I don't think you'll mind. Like, so Raymond, who runs Renan and Typhy is 77 um the guy i got my mail off was 93 and that's a pretty that's apart from mellantregrant i mean there's amazing things happening in, in the area uh Gwent, which is about an hour and a half away they just uh, the people that own it have given their uh, mill to the people who work there so that's now I, I do call that a partnership um that's amazing and then but mo- apart from Two that are a little bit further north in Wales, they're all in this sort of southwest part of Wales. So it's really good that this one is staying as a mill.
0: Yes. That is uh, that is mm. nice because it means you are following on a mill that has been there for 150 years or so.
1: 152 or three, yeah. Wow, so, good guess. Yeah. And then the other <laughs> thing is, because, you know, <laughs> We also own, I mean, this is silly, we also own our own mill. So what'll happen is that once we sort of refurbish the building a bit, we're actually looking at whether we can build an extension and move some of the stuff that's there now into the new part. So there's, with weaving, you've got sort of two main stages. You've got warping and winding, which is the preparation, and then you've got weaving. It would be really good to put all the warping and winding into a new building somewhere that's dry warm uh, a lovely place to work and then we can have all the warping in one place and the yarn with it and all the weaving in the main old building so we have got to make a bit more space that i don't think is a massive problem because there's a few sort of rather derelict outbuildings. so if we were to i mean yeah we, we can sort that out but we've got you know it, it's um you know i've done 10 years already so another 10 years to sort this out is fine. Um, yeah. So it's very, it, it's amazing. I'm so, just, <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm so glad it's coming together for you. And at this point, of course, you have about two mils worth of uh, looms. Do. Yeah. Do you...
1: yeah. So some of it, What's some happen? of it is, I've already started rehoming. Um, so the looms will keep all the looms. And that's fine. But things like at the moment, the cone winders, you don't need two cone winders. So one of the, one of those is going to Scotland. Um, one of our warping mills might go to Scotland. So it's fine. It'll all stay within the UK and it'll just be re- redistributed uh, throughout the place, which is quite nice. Um, and then the other thing is just the response we've had to this is, it's just amazing, really. Um, we, we started posting on Instagram, just this incredible outpouring of support. It's really nice. It's really incredible.
0: Well, I think a lot of people have been, have been following <laughs> your adventures for years now. And it is a, a wonderful thing to, to behold.
1: Yeah, I, I cried um, in that. So, I, uh, I was on the phone to Mike's daughter in Waitrose. I don't normally shop at Waitrose, but it's. Uh, I knew that Mike, the former owner, liked German white wine. And I knew that Waitrose would have that. And then I was on the phone to his daughter in the crisps aisle and just crying. (laughs) (laughs) Been a lot of that.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, which brings us to how are you going to sort of move forward now? Yeah.
1: So, the stuff that we can't do ourselves. um, So, we want to get, uh, we've got heaps of work, which is great. So just want to get in there and start weaving. Um, oh, one thing as well. So if, if anyone knows anything about Welsh weaving, there's the, 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 the Welsh tapestry blanket, which is a huge part traditional Welsh weaving. Uh, a Welsh blanket is generally consists of what's called double cloth. And post-war, all the weaving mills in Wales would have regional patterns sometimes not even just regional they are like this mill would weave this pattern so there's only a few and it's always on the whole a double cloth so you've got two fabrics drawing color from each side they're very distinctive um sometimes the ones you find from the 70s are a little bit leery a little bit a uh, little bit purple and lime green going on but they're also some really classy ones so we're going to keep weaving those we're putting there's two looms currently in the mill that are weaving that style of fabric, we'll probably put a third one in and put that over to doing it as well. So we're gonna keep on doing that. And then on top of that, that, when we bring all our looms in, we'll just keep on weaving our own normal stuff as well. Um, So that is part of the way we're gonna pay for it. But the initial emergency stuff, and I do mean emergency. So um, I was there a couple of weeks ago um, whilst it was pouring with rain and there's more rain coming in through the walls than there is going in the gutter. Like, this isn't good. And the other thing is, because I saw it when I first saw it, it was the height of sort of the end of summer. I was like, oh, it looks great. Yeah, this is great. It's really dry. But yeah, anyone who knows about Wales is, uh, it rains a lot, <laughs> you know. So we've really got to sort out the water. So I start, on Monday, I started a crowdfunding campaign. Also, funny story, have you ever heard of anybody being turned down by Kickstarter? Because I was, I know, this is amazing. Weird. So I spent a month getting a Kickstarter campaign ready, submitted it, and they were like, nah, sorry, this isn't for us. And I was like, what? And they said, yep, you get, this is all in an email, by the way. And they're like, yep, you get one appeal. So I wrote back and I was like, hey, um, just let me know what I need to change and I'll change it. And da da da. And they were like, got back to me. And this is last Friday like the day before I was going to launch it. And they're like, no, sorry. We just don't feel that this is something that we want to promote. And we've just deleted all your work. (laughs) And that was it. End of. So then there was this crazy weekend, because I was hoping to launch it on Saturday. I didn't sleep for two days. Um, Basically going through all these other crowdfunding websites, trying to get it sorted. And um, yeah, I launched it on Monday. And the, again, the response has been incredible. Uh, I think we're about 20% of the goal. We're trying to get, so we need £96,000 to do the emergency stuff. Um, but we've, we're have we trying to get a third of that this winter. So if we can get about 35 grand, um, you know, after tax and stuff, then that should get the guttering and the roof sorted. Um, that sounds like a lot, but I think, yeah the way things are going <laughs> so we've got to put scaffolding up and i'm kind of know what's going to happen is they're going to put the scaffolding up and go oh now we're a bit closer yeah this is way worse than we thought um so yeah but if we can do roof window oh, the the quote for the windows just the windows is like 28000 so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well wow. somebody asked i don't know if i said this to you before but somebody was asking me about weaving and what it's like and you know, I was like, right. Imagine a toilet that's on fire, and you've got a handful of fifties, and you're just like putting handful of money after handful of money into the toilet, and you're just watching it burn. And then suddenly, you come to your senses, and you're like, holy shit, what am I doing? So you go to flush the toilet to put out all the fire, and then the cistern is just full of petrol. That's that's basically <laughs> that's basically i mean not all weaving is like this you know it could be a lot easier if i i don't have to do it like this (laughs) but yeah it's good i mean we i think as well once we've done the emergency stuff then there's um heritage lottery grants that we can apply for and a few other things so i i'm not as long as i can stabilize the building in the next six months i'm fine it 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 once we can start working it'll be okay um, i've just got to get yeah, just get get on it basically and that's fine
0: yeah i'll i'll include a link to the the crowdfunding site on in the in the show notes it'll be very interesting to see how it, uh, how it proceeds there and i can't wait to come and visit one day
1: well you must so by probably the summer when the weather's a bit better uh, you should definitely come and have a look. Um, and also, I, the thing as well is, we. so where, oh God, I mean, everywhere you look, you're like, oh God, that's awful. Okay, well, I'm not going to deal with that now. I'm going to go over here. And then you come over here and you're like, oh God, that's that's awful. I'm, I'm, either I'm going back over there or I'm just going to go somewhere else. So where the where the electricity comes into the building, normally you've got what's called a distribution board. Yeah, we've got one of those. It's made of porcelain. All the... <laughs> I mean, it's very um, atmospheric, but it's also, like, we just, it's got to go. But what we'll do is we'll put all this stuff that's in there, we'll leave it up. We'll preserve it as it is. Um, so we'll put in a new distribution box alongside it, put in all the new lights, put in all the new wiring, and just switch it over. And then we'll probably just leave the old stuff up, because there's no reason to take it down. And it—and it And it is... intrinsically part of the history of the building. And where we can, we will reuse all the Bakelite light switches and we'll reuse all the, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. We've got to, you know, so there's been two generations that's gone through here already. We're going to have it for the next 20 years or whatever. And then we, you know, if we can hand it over in a state where again it's not going to become a property then great it's yeah it's good so originally this this mill actually had it, cuz it's quite big and a lot of it is the, the top floor we can't use at the moment because the floors so bad but it did have yeah i know i mean it's <laughs> 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 i know it's just like what the hell so They did have um carding spinning weaving and finishing all on site now we'd never get into the spinning because we're weavers and we've really we've got so many looms like let's stick to weaving but what would be amazing is if we could do the finishing and the whole place did run originally on a water wheel the water wheel has been long gone i mean that went in the 30s however the what's called elite which is just in this case a huge big bore ceramic pipe that channeled the water from upstream down to the mill is still there. And so is the the pit that the water wheel was in. It's a little bit full of rubble, but what I'd love to investigate down the line is can we put in a more efficient hydroelectric plant? Obviously we're going to do solar. I think that it's really feasible that we could run all the single phase machines on solar. Like that's very achievable. And then... Yeah,
0: well, if there's water there, it should be uh, should be possible to go hydro Exactly.
1: I'm not sure we've got enough of a drop to get a really efficient. So, if we went for a turbine, you need as much pressure as possible. Um, so, you need the greatest amount of drop in height. As, and I'm not sure that we've got that. But it's amazing the alternatives for water wheels. Now there are these water wheels and that you swing out into the flow and they just they're just in the flow and you know it's not like solar where you're only getting it on a good day during the daytime this is just 24 hours a day so so many so many things we can do it's just going to take a long time
0: now we have focused a lot on all the downsides of this oh place, all the obvious <laughs> problems and crying in waitrose yeah. <laughs> uh, and all this. But but really, this is a huge purpose-built mill in the rolling Welsh countryside. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely scenic, bucolic even. Uh, you could paint watercolours all day long. I mean, there must be loads of good things about it. I,
1: th- there's, really, there's nothing bad about it. I, I, I mean, all these, all these things, they're not, they're not bad. I just, I think they're just sort of um, added color. Yeah. So it'll, you know, it'll oh. be fine. No, the, Seasoning. the building is amazing. And I think once, you know, we're just going to add to it, we're not going to change it too much. It's about four hours from London on the train. And if we can, I think it'll be fine. I think it's going to be amazing. And uh, I've got, to, I, maybe I should stop calling it Loomland. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, no, why not? Let's keep it as Loomland. It's great. But. Um, Weft world. Weft world. Okay, well, maybe we'll, I mean, I don't dislike Weft world Maybe there's going to have to be some sort of poll. I mean, maybe you could just open a, a rival weaving theme park called Weftworld. That's not a bad idea.
0: That sounds like a terrible idea.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) it's a good one. Yeah.
0: Whichever. But so, roughly, which area Ah, is this? So, uh,
1: it is sort of extreme southwest Wales. So, if you come from London and you go London, Cardiff, Swansea, keep going, you get to uh, Carmarthen, uh, and then we're just past Carmarthen.
0: Okay, so it is fairly accessible. Rem-
1: even, you know, there's even... Um, I mean, the train gets you right there. It's amazing. Um, and there's so much going on in this area at the moment. So there's another uh, company that's set up not... Oh, well, actually, oh, you know where Hyatt is uh, in Cardigan? Mm-hmm. We're only 50 minute. They're 50 minutes further down the line than us. And then there's also a company that's just opened in Cardigan called and I really want to pronounce this right, Garthenor, which is an organic spinning mill run by this amazing guy called Johnny King. Um, We've already talked about doing some stuff together. He is a salty dog. Absolutely fucking amazing. We think, I mean, (laughs) yeah, so we're going to do stuff with him. Um, And then, who else? Obviously, there's all the other mills in the area. So Grant, Solver, um, Rock Mill, and melon typhi. and then yeah, yeah there's, there's all sorts oh, there's a cambrian there's a company called cambrian wool there which is sort of leading the way in completely traceable welsh yarn i mean that's that's awesome susie park um yeah there
0: seems to be a lot of that going on now a lot um i was talking to ophie long a couple of months ago about the fiber shed initiative in ireland there's probably one in in wales as well again about the traceability the organicness and yeah it just seems to be so much positive stuff going on around that this is
1: it i mean i know we all we're all sort of stuck in these little sort of bubbles that we we exist in um i mean this was something that came out of the extant in in majorca is there is so much to be positive about i often worry you know like are we really making an impact on a positive impact by doing weaving this way and traceability and stuff? And yes, we are. For that reason, that it's increasing so much awareness, it's education. I mean, we, you know, we're processing tons of yarn. That's great. But could we be processing hundreds of tons of fleece at one time? At the moment, no, we can't. But um, then you've just the there's so much good stuff happening, everywhere you look. So it's in. There's so often you get this sort of these stock answers from people. This sort of very negative, sort of oh, this is bad, this is bad. But actually, there's so much good stuff happening. You've just got to embrace. Like really, when you find it, embrace it. It's good.
0: That's a very good way of uh, looking at things because I find it immensely hard to stay positive. Oh, it's
1: a, oh. But this is it, you know. The, a lot of media things, the negative things get so much more traction. Um, I don't know. Like textiles is a a really interesting one. It's a very difficult industry to survive in. Um, But if you think, I mean, so we did our first like farm to fabric like really early day. I mean, I don't it's not like we invented it or anything like that. Like loads of people have been it's just what happens as far as we're concerned that's just how fabric is made. But to do it completely traceably is now not uncommon. I I mean, even when we started 11, yeah, 12 years ago whatever it was, it wasn't like massively easy to do. Now it's it's very easy. It really is. And the and the wool board is getting better. They've completely overhauled how they work. Um, yeah, so there's a, and there's all these little projects that are actually, I mean, for example, Garth Enor is a big project. Um, they are building a complete worsted spinning mill from scratch. Um, I, yeah, it's really impressive. In fact, you should definitely talk to him because he's hilarious.
0: That's interesting how people, I mean, have the the guts to really start things like that now in the UK in this day and age.
1: It's I, I think the thing that's lost out the most is um, because any industrial premises in the UK is so high value. And that is the biggest um, barrier to creativity. Like even a small workshop... It's going to cost you as uh, literally on the phone to someone yesterday and they said oh i've just got my first studio to do my weaving stuff in i was like oh that's really good and she's like yeah i know but oh the rent you know as soon as you, so you're going to go and do something creative but you've got to have a job to now pay two rents that are not small it's a huge barrier to creativity and i mean it's i'm obviously <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so i we're gonna have to I I probably can't be bothered because I literally means changing on the stationery, but I do own the London cloth company that is no longer going to be in London. So whether we're going to be the mill formerly known as the London cloth company, or I just get little bits of red tape and put it over the word London, I don't know yet, but there's no way I could start the London cloth company now in London, which is a real shame. So if I was like today going, Oh, I'm going to start the London cloth company. You couldn't do it in London. It's just too expensive. It's a real shame. Mm, indeed. Mm. It's just not affordable. So I don't know. Uh, see where that goes. It might swing the other way. So we'll see.
0: Well, it's Exactly it right. <laughs> I, I was thinking if you need some quick money, it might be time to give the guys in South Korea a phone back. I mean,
1: yeah, right. Or or try their neighbours. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> okay, yeah, done. on that note, um, <laughs> maybe not.
0: Anything else we should mention? Uh, probably. In closing,
1: um, but I can't think of anything. I, I mean, there's got to be stuff. But um, I really appreciate you having me back for a start. Um, it's amazing, and uh, yeah. The crowdfunding will run till the middle of January, and it might be one of those. I'm not, to be honest, I had it all set up for Kickstarter and I understood how that worked. I have no idea how this current platform works, um, but I have got to say it's very good. Um, Yeah, and I think it runs till January, and then we might keep it going. I don't know. Who knows how it works? I never read any of it, I just posted it. (laughs) Right.
0: Have you, have you considered selling futures in mm. in your production to commercial enterprises? No,
1: I don't even really know what that means.
0: Well, I just made up oh. the words, but oh, it would be, say, that you contacted a brand that have used you, say, in the past mm. and said, I'm doing this and this. Would you be interested in supporting?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, some of the stuff that we're doing on... Funding is stuff we haven't made yet and there are some companies this is again the, the amount of support we've had i'm just completely overwhelmed by um even some of the the brands that have bought things from that mill in the because we didn't buy the business we didn't buy like a, an order book or anything like that we just bought the building that happened okay. to be full of stuff
0: so has, has the business closed down or is it um, what's happened to that <sighs>
1: I don't know. Well, it's a. It's sort of... I'm not really sure how that works. Um, but we've had some really nice phone calls from a couple of the customers, um, a few emails backwards and forwards. And a lot of them, we've just been sort of talking about weaving in Wales and and weaving with Mike. So I haven't actually mentioned the mill. that's called Elvit Mill. I should have probably said that. Um, so we will keep that name. We'll probably add... London Cloth Company to it in some connotation. I also thought it'd be quite fun. So the mill is like this big sort of big, opp- big oppressive building down a track. You can just about see it from the road. So I, it's, it's in a village called um, Conwell Elfed. And I thought it'd be really great to have a massive neon sign on the end of the building saying, Conwell Elfed, Elvet Woollen Mill and Casino. That would be good, wouldn't it? Because I bet you there's no <laughs> casino. And we could have like Elvis impersonators and like Cher. That would be good. How did I get onto this? <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I think that was down the wrong yeah. track.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, tell you what as well, a lot of trees to cut down. That's going to be great because you know I have a chainsaw problem.
0: That was something mm-hmm. we discussed last time, it wasn't was. it? Your fondness for yeah. chainsaws.
1: So um, got plenty of work to do there.
0: Well, there you go. The future is bright,
1: <laughs> bright orange, because we like Husqvarna chainsaws. Husqvarna. Yes, thank
0: you. I that <laughs> okay, Dan. I think we'll uh, we'll stop there. Thanks so much for for coming back and telling me about the new Enterprise. It sounds both brilliant and
1: scary. Do you know what's weird? It-
0: but I'm sure it will turn out well.
1: I'm not that daunted and I think maybe it's when you talk about it to someone you're like, oh yeah, maybe I should be a bit more worried about this. But thank you so much for having me back.
0: Never lose that enthusiasm. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee. She's perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest. Just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So, until next week, bye-bye.